If you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 this morning. And so let me encourage you to find your way there. Kids, you guys are going to be heading next door uh, for kids' worship in the fellowship hall. And so you guys can make your way there with Michael and Nicoly. And, um, and then parents, be sure to pick up your kids afterwards. <laughs> we love your children. We are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to partner with you and to be able to serve alongside you and to reinforce your ministry of teaching and instructing and training at home. We w- we're grateful for the privilege of being able to serve your, you and your family every week in this way. Romans chapter 8, we've been looking between uh, Resurrection Sunday and coming up in a few weeks, Ascension Sunday, uh, Pentecost Sunday, uh, uh, not Ascension Sunday, a Pentecost Sunday, uh, the day in which God uh, gave uh, the Holy Spirit to the church. We've been looking at, in these, this seven-week period here, we've been looking at the present, presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives today. And today I want to consider the subject of the indwelling ministry, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Romans chapter 8. Joyce Daughtery. Uh, was from Louisville, Kentucky. She went to uh, an orphanage in Ukraine, and there she saw a two-year-old Kristen. Her beautiful eyes were framed by or framed a uh, a non-cancerous facial tumor, but they, even that could not hide her uh, childish grin. Joyce said, "Kristen's eyes were so alert that I kept watching her. There was something special that the tumor could not hide." I could have taken any of the children I saw home with me at the same time. I knew if I adopted Kristen, she'd have more than a new start. She'd have a new life. In Ukraine, children who are born with some kind of deformity or defect or or any kind of disability are oftentimes abandoned. Mothers would walk away from them in a public place. They would would never look back. they're considered uh, throwaway babies. And Daughtery chose Kristen. Back in Louisville, a surgeon was able to remove the, the tumor. The scars began to heal. And as a young child, Kristen's life was dramatically changed. As that little girl began to grow, she would chatter endlessly, saying over and over again, I love you, Mama. I love you, Mama. What Joyce did for Kristen, God has done the same for his children through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. To describe the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer, Paul uses this idea called what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God indwelling or dwelling in his people. Our text today, Romans 8, verses 9 through 27, will uncover for us at least six blessings. I'll focus on six if we have time to get through all six. Benefits that come to every believer as a result of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The result of the Holy Spirit making his home in the life of every Christian. Joel Beakey, a reformed pastor, author, and professor, wrote in wrote a magnificent systematic theology, a four-volume systematic theology. In the third volume on the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words, the foundation of an experiential faith is the Holy Spirit's dwelling within believers 
For he manifests the glory of God in their hearts by his transformational work. The foundation, the bedrock, the beginning place of an experiential faith, a, a faith that is experienced in life, a faith that, is, that touches and transforms our lives, not just a faith that just resides in our intellect and into our, in, our, in our minds, but a faith that begins to work itself out in life, the foundation of an experiential faith, a lived out faith, is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Is through him that we see the glories of God and we experience the transforming power of his spirit at work in our lives. John Stott uh, wrote in his commentary on, on Romans, he said the hallmark of the authentic believer, the hallmark of an authentic believer is the possession or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he made this contrast which I found interesting. He said just as the in, just as indwelling sin, Romans chapter 7, is the, um, is the lot of the children of Adam, the privilege of the children of God is to have the indwelling spirit to fight and subdue indwelling sin. This is why we need to study and consider the ministry, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a dry doctrinal study that fills our minds with more and more theological knowledge. No, this is a foundational issue that we must consider for it is the hallmark of the authentic, of, of the Christian faith. I, I was going to just read the verses as we go along and then this morning as I read through the text again as a whole, I, I'm just going to read 18 or 19 verses, all right? You guys good? I just want us to see it, the text in its entirety, and then we'll walk through it uh, point by point. Beginning with verse 9, Romans chapter 8. Read along, or follow along as I read. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. Your Bible may say you're not in the flesh, but you are now in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, we're going to see that phrase, lives in you three times, verse here, verse 9, and two more times in verse 11, it's the idea of indwelling. I'll talk about that in a moment. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to God, to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children, we are children, then we, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs uh, with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
For the, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we, also, but we ourselves who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. It's reality. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Well, let's consider what the Word of God is saying here in this passage this morning. Six benefits, six blessings that are the birthright of every believer because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, all believers, number one, have a new identity. They have a new identity. And that new identity is, is that we belong uh, to God. We, we belong to God. In verse 9 it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Well, let's consider what, where we find ourselves here in, in chapter 8. One of the principles of Bible interpretation is that we need to know the context. In Romans chapter 8, Paul has been showing that in Jesus Christ, all who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been, first of all, delivered from the penalty of sin. Verse 1 of chapter 8 opens and says, uh, there is now no condemnation uh, in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. And because this is true, we are now no longer under the power of sin. That is that we are no longer under the control, the power, the rule of the flesh in our lives. Verse 9 begins to make this point here. We are no longer under the flesh or in the realm of the flesh. That is under the control of the flesh. But instead we are under the, we're in the spirit because the spirit of God lives in you, lives in all who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase that I brought to your attention, I was reading the text, lives in you, is the word for dwelling or indwelling. It is the descriptive of the indwelling ministry and presence of the Holy Spirit in every believer. To dwell in means to inhabit a house or to make a house a home. It describes someone who is familiar with and at home with someone. Sometimes we'll, we'll host a guest and they come into our home and, and we'll say to them something like this, um, make, make yourself at home, right? Now, what we're doing is we're offering hospitality, but do we really mean it? 
Like, do we really want them to come in and make, uh, just kind of go through our closet? Uh, do, do we want them to crawl into our bed in the middle of the night and sleep next to us? Do we want them to use the master bath or the guest bath? I'm just saying, right? We want them to be at home, but we still want some certain boundaries. The Holy Spirit, when he indwells us, he moves in and makes himself at home. Vicki and I are in the process of selling the house that we've lived in for the past 22 years. This house, this building has become our home. It's more than a shelter. It's a place where we dwell. Our memories are there. We've raised our children there. We have a significant attachment to this brick and mortar place. Because it's home. Last night our Kids came over and we celebrated Vicky's 29th birthday. And, uh, <laughs> and so we just had a great time with the kids. And, uh, and, and during the course of the evening last night, the conversation turned to so Emily, our daughter in law, asked us, So, what are some of your favorite memories of this place? And we just kind of reminisced of some of the things that have, exp- some of the experiences we've had in our home. When the Holy Spirit when the scripture says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he's, the Bible's referring to that special, that, that's, that, that, that God's special activity of making his home in our lives. Unlike the guest whom we've said, hey, make yourself at home, and we still have certain boundaries, the Holy Spirit moves in and he reigns in his people. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit describes the settled, permanent, and penetrative presence of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come and go. He remains. He penetrates. That is, as I said last week, he saturates our lives with his presence. His influence is thorough. Notice what the scripture um, says in verse 9. The one who does not have the spirit of Christ, that is the one who does not have the Holy Spirit, verse 9 says, does not belong to Christ. Does not belong to Christ. They are outside of Jesus. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, we ask that in this place that you would allow our minds to be focused upon your word and upon you. We ask, Lord, that you would remove the distractions and you know uh, the issues that need your help. And so we ask, God, for your grace and your help in this moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here we discover in verse 9, the first blessing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is 
that because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, because he dwells and dwells the people of God, it means that you belong to God. You belong to God. This is to be the distinguishing feature of the life of a believer, that you belong to God. Think about the ways that we try to distinguish ourselves from others, from, from various, uh, dif- differentiate ourselves from other people. <clears throat> uh, we may uh, define ourselves um, by our geography, where we're from, right? I'm from the north, I'm from the south, right? Uh, I'm from Texas, I'm from the hill country. We try to define ourselves from from a, we use geography. Other times we, we might define ourselves by our heritage, right? I'm Irish. I'm not Irish, I'm just saying that. Uh, I'm Canadian, how's that, okay? Uh, I, I'm American. Uh, it, probably if you're born from Texas, you probably say you're a who? Yeah. You guys are strange, but anyways. <laughs> I should have said that. Other times we try to define ourselves by our, I apologize, would you please forgive me. Uh, uh, sometimes we'll define ourselves by our alma mater, right? Uh, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a Baylor bear, but my kids went to Baylor, and so we'll say, I'm a bear, sick them, right? <laughs> you got a horn frog over here. You might say you're an Aggie. Yeah, you, you guys are strange. I don't know why anybody would want to admit this and say, I'm a, uh, uh, Julia, Julia, she's, I'm a horn, I'm sorry. <laughs> Other times, we might identify ourselves, distinguish ourselves by the painful realities of living in a fallen world. I'm a cancer survivor. I'm an abuse victim. I'm addicted. I'm widowed, I'm divorced. And when we come to verse nine here and it says that if the spirit of God lives in you, you belong to Christ. That's your new identity. That's your new reality. We find ourselves going through this world And we need to see ourselves going through this world belonging to Christ, right? Our first allegiance, our first allegiance, we still have an allegiance, but our first allegiance is not to our flag, it's not to our constitution, it's not to our government, it's to King Jesus. And when we find ourselves being wronged and attacked and forgotten and ignored and stepped on, you need to remember that you belong to God. That's the first blessing, the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's a second blessing, and the second blessing that we come in this passage is found in verses 10 and 11, and that not only do we have a new identity that we belong to God, but we, we have been given new life. At, at dying, you live Verses 10 and 11, it, we're reminded again that, that we, we live in a body that is dying, but we have been given life. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That is the righteousness secured by Jesus Christ in his work at the cross and his triumph over the grave. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, indwelling you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who is living in you, the spirit who is indwelling you. Verse 10 builds on the reality of verse, because you belong to God and the Spirit of God is living in you, since Christ is living in you, verse 10 begins. What does that mean? It means that this body that you find yourself calling home, that, that's housing who you are, is subject, the Bible says it's subject to death, it's destined to decay and eventual death. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who... Uh, I believe went home to glory in 1989, was a medical doctor before he was a pastor. And he was yesterday with the coronation stuff that was going on in, in, in Britain. Uh, we, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician to, the Roy, to members of the royal family prior to being a pastor. Commenting on this verse, he said, the moment we enter this world we begin to live and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you'll ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. And yet, because of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate destiny of the body is not the death, but resurrection. The one who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. Instead of, inside of your decaying, deteriorating, dying body is now the principle of life at work. You say, what does this mean? Well, Vicky and I, we sometimes tease each other and we'll say, you're not aging very well. <laughs> we poke fun at each other because of the realization, the growing realization that... Uh, that's becoming more and more obvious that we're not able to do the things that we once did. And we tease each other, but the reality is there are some of you here, you're facing this reality in a very real way. Uh, there are some of us, some in our congregation that we're praying for God to have mercy upon them in the midst of their suffering, their physical suffering. Some of you have recently watched your loved one waste away. And yet the scripture says this, to those who belong to Christ, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Paul wrote about this reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Amen. How does that happen? The presence and the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as a result of that reality, we go through this life, neither fearing death, and we ought to go through this life not wasting the life that God has given to us. 
the Holy Spirit. God has given the Holy Spirit, and through the, the indwelling presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have a new identity. We belong to God. We have a new life. That dying, we, we live. There's a third reality, and that is in, in verses 12 and 13, we, we have a new responsibility. And that new responsibility is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Look again at verses 12 and 13. The Word of God says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. We have an obligation not to do the things that, that we just want to do naturally, the things that, that our bodies want to give themselves over to doing. We have an obligation to live differently than once we lived before. Why? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that we have a new obligation, a new responsibility, not to the flesh, but according to the to, to the Spirit. Before salvation, before Jesus Christ entered into our lives, we were under obligation, we were under bondage to sin and to the flesh. We were into that grip. We are under the control of sin. Now because of the Holy Spirit, we have been set free. We've given, been given a new power to put to death the misdeeds. And you see what verse 13 says? How do we put to death the misdeeds of the body? By the Spirit. Earlier in Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, the Apostle Paul said, um, Do not offer yourselves or any part of your body, or do not offer up any part of yourselves to sin. Here in chapter 8, verse 13, he says that we are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. The misdeeds that, that speaks of the practices of the body. Anything that is sinful, we're to put to death. Not by our own willpower. Not by making a resolution on, on New Year's Day or a recommitment on a Sunday morning. Not because we've joined a self-help group. We're to put to death by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit whom God has given by which we are enabled to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Uh, John Stott, whom I quoted earlier, also said this. He said, there is a life that leads to death, and there is a death that leads to life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, the Word of God says, those who belong to Jesus Christ, and we've seen that already in, in chapter, verse 9 of chapter 8 in Romans, that those who belong to Christ are those who have the Spirit. So when he says those who have the Holy Spirit, what does he say? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so this is how we put to death the misdeeds of the body. We must crucify the flesh. You say, what does it mean to, to crucify the flesh? Let me give you a, a couple thoughts here as we try to think about how this personally affects our lives. A crucifixion, first of all, is a personal, or we must crucify the flesh personally, right? This isn't the crucifying the flesh or putting the, the misdeeds of the body to death isn't a group event, right? It's not something that we do on a Sunday morning as a church body. We must do this personally. Secondly, it's uh, to put to death the misdeeds of the body is painful. Or it's a, a painful exercise. Crucifixion is drastic and life-ending. Jesus said it this way. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. What is Jesus saying? He says that we must be ruthless in dealing with the issue of the flesh. 
We cannot make any exceptions for the misdeeds of our bodies. John Owens, the Puritan, John Owens, the Puritan pastor uh, <clears throat> who lived in the 1700s, uh, wrote a number of works. One of his works is on sin and temptation. said that we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. That's what the Lord is telling us here. To put to death the misdeeds of the body, we must do this persistently. This is an ongoing reality. Crucifying the flesh, putting to death the misdeeds of the body isn't something that we only do at summer camp. We don't do it as a, at a Good Friday service when we set up the cross and we nail our sins to the cross. It's not something that we do at, an, at the end of the service during an, an invitation. This is something we must do every single day. We can only do this by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us recognize sin in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the motivation, the desire to crucify our flesh. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do this. Number four. We have a new identity. You belong to God. We have new life dying. We, we live. Uh, we have um, a new responsibility. We must put to death the misdeeds of the body, number four. Because of the indwelling presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, you have a new family. You are a child of God. You have a new family. You're a child of God. Verses uh, 14 through 17 remind us about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. <clears throat> you have a new family. Not only do you belong to God, but you are now a child of God. Those who are led, verse 14, by the Spirit of God are the children of God. To be led is to be directed, to be persuaded, to be enlightened. You think about how this word led is used in Scripture. The good Samaritan led the wounded traveler to the end, the inn. The, the, the man who was blind from Jericho was led to Jesus. Peter was led to Christ by his brother Andrew. And the Holy Spirit leads like this. He has a very personal Controlling influence over the people of God. Notice what the scripture says here in verses 14 through 17 about what is true of those who possess the Holy Spirit. First of all, in verse 14, it says that we've been accepted by God. No longer do we live in fear and dread of God, but we have the full assurance of being adopted by God. In the Roman world, Paul lived in the Roman world, first century Roman world, uh, to be adopted meant that the adopted child would bear the family name, he would inherit the family resources. He would, be, he would enjoy the affection of the family uh, 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 community. And he would be expected to reproduce the character of the family. And he says that you are not just secondary. You have been adopted, fully accepted by God. 
Verse 15, not only have we been adopted by God, verse 15, we have access to God. It says that we cry, Abba, Father. The Aramaic word for Abba is daddy. It speaks of intimacy, tenderness, trust. God is our father. I don't know if you watched any of the coronation yesterday. We had on a little bit and in and out of the house and, and um, Prince William's kids, right? Who's, who's the next one? King, or King George. Prince George, right? And then you got uh, uh, Charlotte and Louis, right? And Louis just seems to be a handful, right? Just kind of always a little mischievous. He's oblivious to the fact that he's royalty, but he knows who his daddy is, right? We have access to God. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, One of the things that we have is we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in the time of need. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Of grace. We have assurance, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears strong inward witness that we are the children of God. And it gets better. Verse 17. We have the inheritance of God. Not only are we children of God, but we are heirs of God. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I just uh, heard this illustration from another pastor, but I, I think it's uh, true and accurate. Um, suppose a father has an estate, uh, say a farm. He has four children and he makes the kids heirs. It means that at his death that the farm is divided four ways and each of them have a quarter of the farm. But if the four children are co-heirs, when he passes, each of the children have all of the farm. The Bible says that all that is Jesus Christ, the Father has given to you and I who are in him. (laughs) All that is Christ has been given to us who have believed on Jesus Christ as our Savior, and this is made possible through the Holy Spirit. Number five, new identity, a new life, a new obligation, a new family, and now we have a five, a certain future. And the certain future helps us to be able to persevere in hope. Verses 18 through 25, um, Paul writes, and he writes about creation groaning, And then in verses 23, 24, and 25, he writes about what we have in the Holy Spirit. Not only so, but we ourselves also, verse 23, have the first fruits, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship or the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they, have, they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul writes in verse 18, he says, I consider. He's drawing a conclusion. He's bringing everything together here. He's coming to a, a, a firm conviction. The presence of the Holy Spirit doesn't eliminate suffering in this present life. He says, I 
consider. I am fully convinced that because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, that our present sufferings, notice what he says in verse 18, are not even worth comparing. Now think about that. He doesn't say that our present sufferings cannot compare to the future glory. Do you see what he says? He says that they're not even worth comparing. They're not even worth comparing. He said, don't even, don't even start. He said, they're, they're not in the same league. They're not in the same field. They're not even in the same universe. Think about it. Is there anyone here today suffering? Broken relationships. The hopelessness of never being reconciled. The burden of bitterness. The weight of anger. What about the burdens of life? Anybody burdened by life? I mean, it just feels like one problem after another. It feels like it's just a wave and you're just getting knocked down over and over again. The death of a loved one. The perplexities of life that they just don't understand. We understand suffering. And Paul in his argument is coming here says, but not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan innerly. We're not exempt from this suffering because we have the Holy Spirit. But we wait eagerly for our adoption. The first fruits of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the one of the feasts that the Jews would participate in was the Feast of the first fruits. It would happen at the start of the harvest time. The Israelites would gather together a token harvest. They would bring it into the temple. They would offer it to God uh, as a sacrifice to him of thanksgiving and anticipation of what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit dwelling in the people of God is the promise of God that there is more yet to come. You've probably heard the story of a woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, but I, I believe the story is, is worth repeating. Only given three months to live, she called for her pastor, asked for her pastor to, to come in and to discuss the final arrangements, the final services, and she gave him the songs that she wanted sung at her funeral service and what she, the scriptures she wanted read and, and, and the outfit she wanted to be buried in, and then she said, one more thing, pastor. When I'm buried, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Pastor, a little bit surprised. He asked for an explanation. She said, in all my years attending church socials, potluck dinners, she must have been a Baptist. I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite time because I knew something better was coming. Velvety chocolate cake, deep dish apple pie, something wonderful. So I want people to see there in the casket with me with a fork in my hand and wonder what's with the fork. And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. The scripture says, because the first fruits of the spirits, we wait eagerly. That word eagerly means to stand on your tiptoes. You're trying to look. People at the coronation in Britain yesterday were standing on their tiptoes trying to get a glimpse of King Charles as he went by. 
We're trying to get a glimpse of what God has in store. The first Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, I has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. We not only wait eagerly because of the Holy Spirit, verse 25, we wait patiently. We wait patiently that our present sufferings, we're not giving up, we're persevering, we're holding on, we're going on because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is the enabling, strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit. A certain future is what we have. Um, the first fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> uh, so let's, um, <clears throat> let's move on to the last point here. I am quickly running out of time. A new life, a, 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 a new identity, a new life, a new obligation. Uh, number four, a new family. Number five, a certain future. Number six, we have another intercessor. Verses 26 and 27 teach us that the Holy Spirit helps you and intercedes for you. In the same way, in the same way that hope sustains us in our suffering, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit helps us. The word picture there of helps us is Two men carrying a log, both carrying it together. That's the picture of the Holy Spirit, helping us in our burdens. What is the burden? Then we do not know what to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God with wordless groans. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you don't know how to pray? You don't know what to pray? Remember a few weeks back, I was with a friend at a at the funeral home. His mother had passed, and he had just he just celebrated one year anniversary of a heart transplant. And he was just kind of reviewing that up to the transplant, and and his wife said, "You need to pray." And he just looked at her and said, "I I can't pray. I'm prayed out. I don't know what else to pray for." That's the picture here when we find ourselves prayed out. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us with wordless groans. Another intercessor. Later on in Romans chapter 8, 833, I think it is, it says, maybe 834, it says that Jesus Christ is our intercessor in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the intercessor in our hearts. Do you see this morning the blessing and the help of his present ministry and presence in our lives? So when we begin to understand the person, the presence, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have unshakable security. We belong to God. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm a recreational worrier. My besetting sin is worry and anxiety heightened by moving. 
I need to remember who I am. Who do I belong to? We have strength in trials and sufferings. We have a hope and an inheritance in Jesus Christ that's kept for us in heaven. And so we patiently wait, enduring our sufferings. We stand on our tiptoes looking to see what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. We're being sanctified. Our lives are changing day by day as we put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Holy Spirit. We're being renewed day by day. Wasting away physically, renewed spiritually, inwardly, day by day. It's this reality of the Holy Spirit that enables us to face whatever comes our way in life. You read the biographies of the saints who have gone before us and they understood that ministry. Hugh Latimer, who was one of the reformers who was going to be burned at the stake the next day, said to his cohort, Ridley, who was going to be burned with them, he says, when I consider the welfare of my soul, I am like a lion that is being unleashed. And he went to the stake and he gave his life. Such is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us and enables us to live and follow Jesus Christ. Listen, the indwelling presence, ministry of the Holy Spirit, is only a reality in those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Today, if you've never turned to Him by faith, if you've never called upon Him to be your Savior, all of these blessings, all of these benefits, you're outside. You're looking in. Only through Christ. Don't leave today. Think I can go another day, another week. I can make it on my own. You can't. You need the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for the salvation of your soul, but for the reception of his spirit. That gives you strength, gives you life today. Let's pray. Father, heaven, we bow before you and we thank you for the truth of your word as we've considered it today. We ask that you would take the scriptures that we have considered and that you would bring them to rest in our mind as we leave from here. I ask, Lord, that whatever is of you, would you would burn that deep into our soul and help us to live there. That which is not of you, grant us forgetfulness. Oh God, strengthen us, sanctify us, help us. I pray, Father, for those here today who are suffering. Grant them the assurance, the first fruits of your spirit, that, that hope that comes from having the first fruits of your spirit. May they be able to stand on tiptoes eagerly anticipating what is yet to come. May they wait patiently. Father, I pray for those here today who are in the throes of the battle with the flesh. Oh God, help each of us to put to death the misdeeds of our bodies. May the likeness of Christ be seen in each of us by the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you're gonna do. We pray and ask this all through the name of Jesus, amen. 
no more for heaven now to give. It's my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. This I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. How strange and divine. See, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. night has been won and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me no 